Online communities, classroom culture, and personal relationships have something in common. Whether it's forming a strong emotional bond, feeling included and accepted, or having an attachment to others, feeling like we belong makes us happy. Ever wonder why? Join me, Dr. Eileen Winokur, for my bi-weekly podcast, Journeys to Belonging, as I discuss my personal and professional experiences with belonging and interview educators and others as they share their stories of belonging. At the end of every episode, I'll offer advice about how we can all feel like we belong. Hi, everybody. And this week's Journeys to Belonging podcast, I have a very special guest. She's part of my OGC PLN family and another one of the people that I feel like I've met her and known her for a really, really long time, uh, even though we haven't, but I feel like that. And my guest today is Melinda Hurt. She's in Illinois, and I'd love for Melinda to say some more about herself and uh, so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Melinda? Hi, everyone. My name is Melinda Hurt. This is my sixth year in education. I um, was a stay-at-home mom before I started my journey as an educator. And when I finally started, I um, was very nervous to kind of um, start the adventure away from home. I worked in a small uh, school district that is a Title I school district and uh, a lot of social emotional needs with students that I had never experienced. I had no understanding. I had no category for it. Um, so I learned so much there. And then I was so fortunate to come back to my hometown where I've been for five years. And I've learned a lot along the way about education, about myself, and about um, how to be a better friend, a better coworker, a better mom, a better wife. So it's really been a great journey for me. And our global classroom, as Eileen said, has been a huge part of that journey and just feeling connected to the world. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. Just to know a bit about your background and your journey so far uh, in the last six years as a teacher um, from being a stay-at-home mom. So it'll be really interesting to get your perspective about that. So the first question I'd like to ask is just a general question about if I say to you the word belonging or um, talk to you about a sense of belonging, what does that bring to mind? What words does it bring to mind? What ideas does it bring to mind to you? For me, the first word that I think of is value. Do I feel value? Do I feel like I have a place in whatever group that I'm belonging to there? And for me, feeling valued and appreciated is a huge motivator for me. And knowing that about myself has really helped. Yeah, value and appreciation are definitely important to belonging. Um, you mentioned in some of the background that you sent me about, and, and just now you mentioned also about the journey that you've taken learning over the past six years since you started teaching about yourself and about your interactions with your colleagues and people. So explain a little bit more about that, go into a little bit more detail, maybe with some examples about how that happened, um, how you felt at the beginning, how you feel now, and what happened in between for you to feel like you belong in your situation right now? Mm -hmm. 
Well, in my first year, like I said, I was working an hour from home. I was very disconnected from what my students were going through. I grew up in a traditional family setting. My parents are still together. Um, I grew up where any necessities were always available to me and my students didn't have that. Uh, they didn't always have stable homes or homes for that matter. Um, and they definitely just didn't have those things. And so learning how to communicate with them in a way that worked for them versus me was very powerful. And that came from the mentorship of some really amazing teachers in that school district. It was an international baccalaureate school. So we already were doing things a little bit differently. Um, but I, I learned very quickly that I couldn't communicate with them the way I needed because that wasn't what they needed. Uh, when I returned back to Stillman Valley, my alma mater, there were a lot of mentors that had been my educators previously. And so trying to figure out how to fit in there, I was really nervous. Like I'm the person who creates every worst case scenario before anything ever happens. <laughs> so I thought that they wouldn't want, you know, to, to help me. And really the people who were my teachers before have been the best mentors and um, the best at really fitting me into the group because they see it as this full cycle. You know, they don't mm -hmm. kind of look at it as me still a student. Um, right. But I really was struggling a lot and I started to venture out into professional development and um, it, I was at um, FETC in Orlando, Florida, and it wasn't even an educator that introduced it to me, but my sister-in-law and I were just kind of debriefing what was going on and I still felt really lost. Like, where was my place? What would my impact as an educator be? I felt very small in all of it. And she introduced me to the Enneagram and that kind of changed everything for me. Um, I feel like I still have a lot to learn about myself, but in learning about the Enneagram, I became more connected to what I needed, but also coworkers that maybe I was struggling to communicate with. I learned how to better approach them because it helped me understand their motivators. Um, and it reminded me to step out of myself again, the same way I had done with my students that these these coworkers didn't need to communicate the way I did. They needed to communicate their way. And so how did I piece into that so that we could be more, more unified? Yeah, I think the Enneagram is really interesting and I had only heard about it within the last year or so myself. Can you go into it a little bit more for our listeners who aren't aware of it? And you mentioned that it benefited you. Um, what do you do and what does it tell you? So the Enneagram is kind of, you know, a personality scale. Uh, it's much different from when I was growing up. They always, you're either an introvert or an extrovert. You're either a planner or you're not. And I was, I was told what I was my entire life. I was always told that I was an extrovert. And so I felt this pressure to be a good extrovert. <laughs> and from the Enneagram, I actually found out I'm not an extrovert. Really? <laughs> I do it, wow. I, enjoy people and I enjoy being around them, but that's not where my energy comes from. It's actually very draining for me to be around people. So this quarantine is not that bad for me. Um, I get my energy from being with my core people, like my husband and my kids and my parents, but being out there and I was always forcing myself to really be an extrovert because I thought that's what I was supposed to be. I think I took a survey when I was in elementary school. And so that's what I was supposed oh. to be. Um, and so I really learned I'm a six, I'm a loyalist. I need justice. Mm -hmm. I, I need to be able to be affirmed in my value and being in places, mm -hmm. but there's other personalities that don't need that affirmation. So when I feel 
low or I feel like I don't belong, it's not because people don't want me there. People don't appreciate it. It's that's not their language. Um, I also equate it a lot to the love languages. Like that's not their language. So they're not affirming me because that's not what they need. And so kind of learning that and finding that I didn't constantly need someone to say, Hey, you're doing a great job as a teacher, but to constantly ask myself, am I doing what's best for kids? Am I doing what's best for my family, for my community and being okay with that affirmation instead. But it's really just been, you know, like the, in the last year I found out I'm a seven wing. So I do have extrovert tendencies. Um, so I keep digging into it and trying to learn as much as I can. Uh, recently, I found out that my superintendent actually manages using the Enneagram. I, he had called me into his office, which I was like, you know, it felt like being called into the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what I is said, he going to tell me I'm doing wrong? I know, that's exactly. And I sat down and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm a six, so I've thought of 500 ways you're about to fire me. And he was like, he got up and he brings me this book and it was called Managing with the Enneagram. And he's like, I'm an eight and you're not getting fired. Oh. <laughs> it was really great um, to just have that. Yes, yeah. to have that back and forth. And in since then, he's actually reached out to teacher leaders to encourage them to use the Enneagram. So our teacher leader just recently took that to kind of understand herself a little bit better. And I think it helps us as a team to kind of understand, okay, this person is a six, so they need to, to know the clear cut plan, which is where I'm not doing good with this quarantine <laughs> because I don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it has helped others communicate with me. It's helped me communicate with others. And I just try to maybe not unravel as much as I did before or worry as much and more just kind of know my truth and, and what it's rooted in. Yeah, that is so important. I know that I've done uh, something uh, in a group situation, uh, which is called Compass Points. And it's sort of, are you a, a north, south, east, or west? And it's a little bit more general than when, what the Enneagram does for you. But it gives you an idea of, you know, what, what kind of strengths and um, areas that you need other people for and who are those other people. Um, so identify who I am and how I work and then how can I work with the others. And it sounds like the Enneagram is, is similar. So I'll put the, the links to the Enneagram and also to the compass points in the show notes. So in case people are, um, who are listening want to research a little bit farther, because it seems like it has made a, a big difference in, in how you're able to understand yourself um, and also how you're able to um, interact with others. And that's really important because one of the things that in the first few episodes of the podcast, the, uh, guests have talked about the fact that it's really important to be okay with ourselves before we're okay with everyone else. So it's interesting that you've mentioned the same thing, but you used a tool in order to be able to um, understand yourself and others um, and how to interact with them. Um, the other thing, yes, yeah. The other thing that you mentioned was um, in relation to your students and the Our Global Classroom and also projects and ideas for you to be able to have your students interact because you said you live in a more rural uh, area in Illinois. So can you talk a little bit about that and um, how you see your students benefiting from that and how it relates to belonging if, if it does? 
Absolutely. So I, as I said, I grew up in this town. It's a town of 1000. So it's a very small town. Really small. Yeah. It takes three towns to make our school district. So it's a very small town. Um, and it's a, it's an agriculture community. Uh, there are some, you know, families that are in more need than others, but for the most part, we all take care of each other. Um, everyone knows one another kind of thing. But I, I always kind of felt like the world was really this big, vast, scary thing outside of me that I could never really grab onto, uh, especially when I made the decision to come back home and, and live here with my husband and start a family. So it always seemed very distant away, like I didn't feel like I could make an impact there. And through our global classroom and meeting Bronwyn Joyce, I learned about the United Nations Global Goals of Sustainable Development. And I remember sitting there in my own self-pity for a little bit thinking, well, it's too late for me. Like I can't go and start a school in a third world country and I can't go and save, you know, these people. And then I thought, well, I can educate other students (laughs) to go on to be leaders, to be world changers. And so I really just kind of threw it at my kids and I, I teach seventh grade English and I just said, hey, what do you guys think about these things? And they had all sorts of ideas and really insightful um, just moments about what they wanted to see for the future. And so I went to my administrator because I had heard a lot of horror stories about um, school districts not allowing the SDGs in the school district. And my principal was like, as long as you get all your standards in, totally fine by me. And the great thing that we both agree is there's a lot of choice. There's 17 goals. So if your passion is not, you know, um, those that are hungry, then maybe your passion is um, those that are unwell or those that need justice. And so my students have really found a lot of choice and, and value in being allowed that choice in my classroom. And what I found was their insights are deeper. Their willingness to dig into information is far exceeds what it was before when everyone was doing the same paper kind of thing. But my students now, um, their whole year is the SDGs. So they start out the year and they kind of just investigate it and see what's on there and kind of see how it relates to them. And they say the same thing I do. Well, Mrs. Hurt, we're from Stillman Valley. What are we gonna do? And I remind them, these things have to be achieved by 2030. Most of them will be entering the career force. So they're the ones we're going to look at. You know, why did this or did this not get achieved? And so they need to start these adventures now. They need to start thinking and being passionate and joining the right clubs and the right programs now. And so they really get after it and they all commit to an SDG in September. And then for the rest of the year, they, they stay with that. They write an informative paper. They do an argumentative uh, speech about their SDG. And the really sad thing with our quarantine right now is we were just getting to the point where um, they were wrapping up narrative PSAs, like public service announcements. And I've gotten a few and they're really great. So it's sad that I didn't get them all back. Um, and then we were going, they had proposed service projects where I wanted to, them to see that the big world can be right here in Stillman Valley and they can make a big impact. And so I had students that realized that any pollution that happens in our small creek eventually gets into the Mississippi River that gets into the ocean. And so they started to see where they play into these big goals. That's so and, big. Yes, and they had these great service projects and that was going to be our spring, was making these service projects come to life and meeting with um, village board members and, and meeting with department heads to, to get rid of plastic sporks and have metal silverware again. And 
we had so many great projects and now I, I fear that we're going to have to find a new way to make some of those things happen this spring, but these kids are passionate about it. It was their idea. They created them. So I'm sure that uh, they'll be innovative and help me find a way through to May. Well, what's great is that they had the build up to it. And so you've already gotten the buy-in from them. They already understand that they do have a role to play and it is, you know, we look at local, but we, and we look at global. So mm -hmm. they're already looking at what they can do locally, even as a seventh grade student to make an impact on their own community, which down the line, down the Mississippi has an impact on others. Um, so that's wonderful. So I, I do hope you're able to find some virtual ways for them to continue their projects and also for the students who haven't handed in their uh, PSAs to be able to continue to do that. So um, if you could just describe a little bit more about uh, how you start off for, for those who are interested in, in getting going with Global Glows, because I know for the um, goals project that Jen Williams uh, 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 begins, and uh, I think it's usually in October, there mm -hmm. were a lot of questions from the teachers that I've helped facilitate about how much time they have, how much they can do within their curriculum. And you mentioned that you are able to align it with your standards and with your outcomes. So can you describe mm -hmm. a little bit more about how you've been able to do that in your planning uh, so that teachers who really are interested can possibly get involved later on? Absolutely. So the, the main big meaty standards that I have to teach each year are informative uh, papers and how to construct, you know, a topic sentence, a thesis, things like that, and argumentative and a narrative. And so um, I was a struggling student. I did not do well with um, tests. I did not do well with long papers. I did not do well without choice. So I wanted to make sure that my students had the opportunity to succeed. Um, I jokingly start every year and I tell them, you know, what do you think was my least favorite subject when I was a seventh grader? And none of them ever guess English. No. <laughs> but it wasn't, it was hard for me. It was English because I didn't get it um, because everyone was doing it the same way. And I've learned I'm not, <laughs> I'm an out of the box thinker um, and I need that affirmation and I wasn't getting it because I couldn't quite fit in that line that the eighties required in America. So um, I kind of tell them, this is what I want to teach you. How do you guys want to learn it? So each year it ends up being a little bit different. Um, yes, sometimes my students come up with ideas that are not feasible and we talk through like, why will that work? Why will that not work? But, um, I start every year with the informative just because, you know, those things kind of the informative builds on the argumentative, what my standards say I need to teach in there. Um, we use globalgoals.org. We use a lot of the videos that they have to introduce the, the um, different goals. I use the comics that they have available um, through the world's largest lesson just to let them investigate. Um, and we talk a lot about uh, citable sources. And so I start them out where I only give them what globalgoals.org gives them because it's all vetted. It's all created by educators. Uh, Melinda, I think we, uh, you froze for just a minute there. So you Sorry. were talking about, that's okay. Um, you know, technology is great until it isn't, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you could just go back to the point where you were talking about how you access the world's largest lesson and global goals uh, from there, where, where did you go? 
Okay, so the globalgoals.org website has tons of free sources. They have visual sources, they have videos. So a lot of my students who need the comics versus the websites, that's really great. And they get to investigate on their own terms. And I just kind of give them the freedom to do that. And like I had said earlier, I'm not sure if it got in there, is they have all these vetted resources. So my students are kind of safe within that information. And then we build as we move on to the argumentative of finding valid sources and how to do that and what things to look for. So we kind of branch away from that website and the resources that the world largest lesson has provided. But really, truly, I just, I teach, you know, the introduction, I teach the hook and the thesis and a counterclaim the same way I would in any English class. They're just applying their knowledge about the SDG to those things. And um, it works out really, really well. Uh, the narrative is usually the hardest one just because I don't want everything to be a paper in my class because that's not real life. You know, not everyone is writing five paragraph essays every day. Right. Um, so that they do a speech for one. They do um, the narrative as a digital story where it has to be zero, uh, it has to be 10 seconds to three minutes long because our generation, you know, millennials and Gen Zs, we accept information in very small sound bites. And so they have to get that point across in that small amount of time. But I still teach the plot diagram the same way I always would. They're just shoving it into a small amount of time using the SDG as their guide. So it, it really bodes well to just fit right into there. I know not everyone is teaching English, so that doesn't fit in as beautifully, but um, it's, it's been a really great journey for me. I felt like I have an impact. I feel like my students see their capability at an impact. And when we post their work on our school website or they take it home or we post around the building, people always come to me and they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know these kids are thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, you know, not every Gen Z kid is only worried about video games. I had a student create a video game about the SDGs. Where That's you have amazing. To as you go. And at the end, it sends you to different links to donate to charities. So these things aren't against us. We just have to make them be a part of a world that we believe in. Yeah. Yeah, we do have to trust our students um, that if we give them that voice and choice with the right facilitation and guidance, that they're able to um, learn to the standards and reach those outcomes and also do it with a passion and an engagement that uh, allows them to learn. So it's wonderful. And yes, you mentioned earlier about an outside the box type of person, and I can see that's, you know, that's what you do. And, you know, for, the, for those teachers who perhaps are sitting there and, and thinking, well, I'm not that creative, uh, there are ways to do it, which are, are much more, uh, let's say, standard, although not so standard, um, that you're able to still teach those and give students choice and uh, be able to trust them to come out with the types of learning that, that we need them to with the guidance and uh, for them to know what are those outcomes, what do they need to be doing as a result of the learning. So it's not just the project, it's also the learning that they're doing. So that, that's really wonderful, yeah. And thank yeah, you so much for, yeah, go ahead. These ideas weren't mine. They were the 12, 13 year olds in my classrooms. I just told them, hey, we need to talk about plot diagram. How can we do that with the SDGs? They came up with a video. And so I originally I had like a 10 minute video in my head and they're like, Mrs. Hurt, no one's going to watch 10 minutes. Oh. So I thought, oh, 
crunch it down. Um, they thought of the service projects. My group last year, this was my first year to do the service projects, which is why I'm really bummed it's not happening. But um, my group last year, their biggest regret was they said, we talked so much about it, but we didn't do anything big. And so they're like, we wish that this could have happened. So I added that into the curriculum. So really talking to the kids and letting them have that choice in it and that um, ability to lead in it has been the best part. Yeah. And I'm sure those students that you had last year, when they do get a chance to get involved and do something about it, they probably will. I bet they'll remember that for a really, really long time, if not forever. So yeah, yeah that's wonderful. Um, Melinda, for the last part, I, I'd love to have you give uh, some advice. Uh, you mentioned um, while we were talking about mentorship, uh, your own mentorship, you talked about your students, you talked about your journey to belonging uh, in your, your situation as a teacher after uh, being a parent. So what are, what's some advice that you could give uh, to those who are listening about may, ensuring that students and colleagues feel like they belong or new teachers also yes i think this echoes past guests that you've had in that you must know yourself before you can ever hope to make someone else belong which i think is the goal for any educator is to have children feel like they belong but we can't do that until we understand our own motivators and our own self and how we interact with the world and then also i had an amazing mentorship program at my first school and I kind of swam around and didn't really know what to do when I came um, back to my hometown. And the biggest thing for me was to advocate for myself. I needed a mentor. I needed someone to affirm in me that I was doing the right thing. Um, and so I, I spoke up and I asked for that. And I had plenty of people that stepped up to be mentors in different ways for me. And then the other thing for advice I just have is, um, I think you hit on it earlier, is you don't have to be like the person next to you and they don't have to be like you. That was a very freeing thing for myself that I play a special role on my team, whether it be my PLC or my PLN or in my classroom, I play a special role, but I'm not the whole entity. And so allowing other people to exist in that with you, but then also advocating for yourself. This is where I feel I belong. This is where I feel my strengths are. So really understanding myself has given me the, the strength and the bravery, I guess, to advocate for myself. I was too scared, I think, in the early years of my education. So I, I think I just would say over and over again to new teachers, advocate for yourself. No one is going to be upset if at the end of the day you're doing something for kids, that you're passionate about students feeling that sense of belonging in the classroom, they're going to mentor you and get on board with that. So ad advocating having a mentor and really knowing yourself are big keys in my book. Yeah, those are especially important. And I'm so glad the way you pulled them all together and, um, <clears throat> and mentioned that uh, it's, it's you first and being able to advocate for yourself and speak up when you have those needs because sometimes as a especially as a new teacher the sense is that i'm just going to try to fit in here and um, not uh, worry about making mistakes but at the same time wanting to learn but if nobody comes up to me and says you know i'd like to be my your mentor um, it seems like you're struggling which it's possible you know everybody is busy that you're able to step up and say i need somebody to help me here and, and so I think that's really wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Melinda. I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people wanna get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? 
um, either at Mrs. Hurt Teaches on Twitter or my email. I'm happy to share mhurt at mail.meridian223.org. Um, always happy to share with someone to offer my insight or mentorship because I know how important it was for me. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. Um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Journeys to Belonging. Um, And the next episode will be out in two weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with me on Twitter at Eileen Winokur, I-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-O-K-U-R, or on Instagram at Eileen underscore W. And you can also find my blog uh, at the website https colon forward slash forward slash cultures dot build see you in two weeks